Well, good morning. Man, are y'all excited about being here? Because I am. All right, let's get to work this morning. Revelation chapter 21. If you're not sure what that is, go to the very end of the Bible and go two chapters back. Does that sound good? Really simple to get to this morning. We're in the middle of a teaching series called Heaven Bound, and our question is this. What is heaven like? Have you ever wondered that? When we get there, when we experience it, what is it going to be like? And last week we dealt with what it's not going to be like what heaven is not. And so over the course of this series, we're going to engage several questions about what it's like, what to expect. We're going to deal with one series. One sermon is just simply going to be all the things that you've ever wondered, hopefully. Sound good? And just different ideas of heaven. Because when we think about that, there are devil lies about three things. He lies about God and who God is, right? Every one of us have those issues in our life. Does God really love me? Does God really accept me? Does God really do the things he says he's going to do? The first temptation in Genesis chapter 3 is when Satan came to Adam and Eve and said, Did God really say? And so there's all types of lies we believe about God himself. He also lies about you, right? He lies to you about what is in store for you. He lies to you about who you are. He lies to you if you're a Christian about what the church is and what it's not. And then he lies to us about our final destination. And while many of us think through what heaven is like, most of us grew up with the concept of it's where all of our wildest dreams come true, Napoleon Dynamite, right? Some of you got that. Some of you did not. If you didn't, go watch Napoleon Dynamite, the greatest film ever made. No, it's not. Here's the thing. There's all types of things. Many of us grew up thinking, I'm going to stand on a cloud and strum a harp, and I'm going to have a robe. And like I told you last week, we look terrible in robes. There's no such thing as gold tassels, and harps are not that great of an instrument, right? Some of you love it. I'm sorry. So this morning, we're going to engage with the idea of what is heaven like to some perspective. Psalm 16, verse 11. Now, we're going to be all over the Bible this morning, and remember, this all works together. Psalm 6011 says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And notice that last phrase, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The purpose of heaven, I want you to get this, and we're going to rephrase this every week. And the purpose of your life, really, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now think through that. That speaks against everything you've probably ever been taught, right? But when we make much of something, it brings us joy. And when we make much of the creator of joy, that brings eternal joy, right? Think through it logically for me. When we make much of God, that is the purpose of heaven. It's to sit in a place where we experience all the bounty, all the fruit, all the hope, all the peace. And that's enjoyment, agreed? That's where we get to like just take off all of the, the nastiness of this planet and experience a peace that lasts forever. So as we engage some of the big truths this morning, we're going to be in places like 2 Peter 3, Isaiah 65. So if you want to flip there, we're going to have those on the screen. We'll reference them. We'll talk about them. So, But we're really going to start out in Revelation chapter 21. So let me ask you to start, start off. Let's ask this question. What is something you're really looking forward to right now? You know what I'm like, right? I mean, we're, 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 let's just do the, let's do the church answer, heaven, but let's move beyond that for a moment. I mean, something you're really looking forward to right now if you're in school is getting out of school. Agreed, guys? Really looking forward to that. If you're a parent, you're really looking forward to September when they go back to school, right? 
How many of you guys are looking toward to the vacation this year? Anybody? Got a show of hands here? Anybody looking forward to the beach? Any beach people here? Any mountain people here? Any not want to do anything people here? Just sit at my house and, my, and just chill? All right, all that stuff. Maybe a specific holiday. Do you have your favorite holiday? Ours, I think, at our house is 4th of July because we're not obligated to give a gift. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> we just get to blow stuff up. That's America, baby, right there. <laughs> Last week, we ended on this idea of a Krispy Kreme donut. You remember that? Krispy Kreme donut. I'm just going to hopefully help engage your gluttony for a moment. Again, because I had so many of you come up to me after the service and throughout the week. I went and I wanted a Krispy Kreme donut after we got through with that. But remember the Krispy Kreme donut, right? They drop the wonderfully perfected dough into the wonderfully perfected oil, and it comes out on a conveyor belt, and there's a waterfall of sugar, and then they take it off with like a little stick, and they give it to you, and it melts in your mouth and in your hand, and then you get to lick it off. It's just amazing, right? Wonderful. And we use the idea, taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. But here's the deal. Years ago, I used that illustration, and it was to a group of students. And in the audience were two kids from England or the United Kingdom and they were there coming to a Christian camp for the first time they sat in the front row and I told that illustration to the kids and everybody knows at least what a donut is or a Krispy Kreme donut if you're from the south right everybody loves that and we actually had the Krispy Kreme donuts I didn't get to go to Athens this morning and get them for you sorry I don't want to get up that early but the thing is we had all that stuff and we were passing them out and these kids on the front row from the UK had no idea what I was talking about I described it I showed it to them but then I gave them the box and they decided to immigrate you know to, to America <laughs> after that <laughs> you can describe it but until you taste it right we can describe heaven to you we can do the best that we can as a church we can engage scripture but until you choose to taste it and remember what tasting the good things we learned this from james chapter 1 verse 17 last week the good things in life are glimpses of god's grace right glimpses of what it means to taste and see that the Lord is good. The bad things are glimpses of his wrath. But when we choose to taste it, what are we looking forward to here? Like specifically. Look at Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 and we'll just we'll stay in verse 1. We'll be jumping all over this chapter and in chapter 22 and remember Revelation was written by the apostle John. And there's a lot, a lot written and a lot of theory and a lot of thought behind this book of the Bible. A lot of it's wrong. Um, and a lot of fear as we engage Revelation. Um, if, honestly, if you're a new believer and Revelation is the first book you read, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, you should have started with John, okay? <laughs> it's, it's hard to understand. I'm just going to be honest with you because as John was writing this, this is very much, a lot of it's metaphorical, a lot of it's apocalyptic, a lot of it's just hard to understand and remember he's trying to decide, describe something that's indescribable remember that right he's trying to describe it's like try to try to describe the emotion of love you know i asked that question what love is one time to a group of fifth graders and people said well it's warm puppies or it's, it's my mom's lasagna and one kid goes it's when somebody gives you the eye and i was like i don't know what that is yet you know <laughs> for you know mcdonald's french fries i don't know what it is for you but when you try to describe it, it's difficult. Think about trying to describe heaven. When we saw those descriptions in Isaiah chapter, chapter 1, when we saw that description, or I'm sorry, Ezekiel chapter 1, when we saw that description last week, 
Notice what happens here, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. This is what he saw. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Well, what does that mean? Because when, he, when God gives him a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like for us, if everything's new, and there's a new heaven, and there's a new earth. But I grew up, I grew up and, and you grew up thinking, I'm going to go up somewhere and stay there forever, right? What if I told you you were wrong? What if I told you some of those thoughts and perceptions you have about what it's going to be like are absolutely wrong or unbiblical? Then we've got to start digging, right? What I want you to understand about heaven is that God is redeeming you and restoring Eden. I want you to think through that for a moment. God is redeeming you. When you know Jesus, he's redeeming you. He has redeemed you, but the whole process of spiritual growth is making you more like Christ. Are you ever going to get there on this side of eternity? No. You're going to taste it. You're going to grow. And what it's really doing, that spiritual growth, is giving you a longing for more and more because the more you see what is wrong, the more you want what is right. We're dealing, dealing with that with a podcast tomorrow morning. Check that out. But the more you see what's wrong, the more you want more of the Lord. And the older you get, the more you really want it. Right, guys? But he's also restoring. Because when we go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, everything was perfect, was it not? If we believe Scripture, we believe everything was perfect. The lion slept with the lamb next to each other without the lion killing it, right? The relationship between Adam and Eve, there was no conflict. There was no shame. There was no rejection. Everything bad that you and I struggle with, the thought life, the circumstances, everything was perfect. I mean, it was just bluebird days all the time. Think through that for a moment. But then evil into the, into the planet with our rejection of the Lord and everything spun off into chaos. And the whole point of redemption is to redeem you to glorify God and enjoy him forever and restore perfection to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Make sense? So let's think through this for a few moments. And what I want to do is I want to answer a couple questions. The where, the what, and the who. Does that make sense? The where, the what, and the who. But we're going to start out somewhere different. All right? First and foremost, I want you to understand Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Let's go there again. There is a new heaven and a new earth. Notice what it says. It's all passed away. The things of this world, the things of corruption, have gone. When we think through, when Jesus returns and restores his kingdom, everything is perfected. And everything evil is separated for eternity everything bad is separated from eternity you know we like to think of hell as a place of burning fire and sulfur and there it very well may be but the greater hell is separation from god for eternity that's separation from joy that's separation from peace that's separation from contentment and satisfaction and complete glory here's the deal when we think through heaven we got to understand something it's a new heaven and a new earth now John, who's writing this, this is not surprising to him. He's a good Jewish boy. He went to synagogue. He was taught these things his entire life. 
that God was going to restore the earth and the heavens to perfection. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17 through 19. We could really go into the entirety of Isaiah 65 and 66, but notice what he says here. The Israelites are in Babylon, they're enslaved, and Isaiah gives them a word. He said, see, I will create new heavens and new earth. The former will, be, will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy, and I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. What does this mean? That means God has a plan to restore his people and restore his perfection on earth. Now, I want you to get this for a moment. When we deal with the word heaven in Scripture, we're dealing with it from two perspectives. One is heaven the place. You got that, right? The other is heaven's the universe. And you've heard the ancients write about this. You go out and you stare at the stars at night, you are looking at the heavens, right? And so sometimes in Scripture, we get confused with this idea of heaven the destination and heaven's the place. And when God establishes a new heaven and a new earth, understand they're brought together and the heavens are created new and the earth is created new and that's where you'll be. It is a wonderful, empowering idea. And I want you to get this idea. Go back to Revelation chapter 21. Notice what it says, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had what? Passed away. Well, what does that mean exactly? Passed away. We go to first, Second Peter chapter 3. We're going to specifically ver deal with verse 10. But in Second Peter chapter 3, it gives you an entire understanding of what that means. But notice what happens is, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Meaning there's an evaporation or a change in what's happening here. Now, when we read that and we compare it back to what happened in Genesis with Noah when the earth was destroyed by water and by rains and by floods and then there was a rainbow and God said, never again will I destroy the earth like this again. What happens next? There's the idea that it's going to be scorched with fire. Now, a lot of people will say, well, that's volcanic eruption. Other people will say, that's nuclear warfare. I don't know what God's plan here is, is now, but what we have to understand here is this. There is a melting, there is a mending, there is a remodeling process that's happening and will happen when Christ returns years ago I was seven years old I've told you a story before my house burned down it was a tragic traumatic event for me that I'll never forget even the smell of something burning now takes me back to that moment when I was seven y'all have had those moments in your life right it didn't burn the house to the ground but it burned the house on the inside so my parents got the insurance payment they gutted the inside of the house and remodeled it and rebuilt it. But when you stood on the outside, it was a glimpse of what was, but yet made new. And I want you to understand that's what heaven is like. It is a glimpse today of what heaven will be like, but made completely perfect and new. Make sense? You've got to understand that. Because so many times we think about the good things that we're going to miss we think about the good things that God has provided and think, well, heaven can't be that good. It can. Here's the difference. Revelation chapter 21, verse 27. All the way down to the end of that chapter, it says, Nothing impure will enter in it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Here's the point. It is purity and perfection to the max. It is God's plan that we thwarted, but he will establish in his sovereignty forever. Make sense? So think through it for a moment. 
you and I go to the Himalayas and we stand at the base of Mount Everest. You've seen pictures, you've seen photographs, perhaps you've watched documentaries. The highest mountain in the world. Its elevation and its, and its difficulty claims one in ten people that try to claim it, try to climb it. You get to the top of it, you're literally at the rooftop of the planet. And you can see the curvature of the earth, and you only can stand up there for a few minutes because the oxygen is so thin. The place is littered literally with bodies and with plastic. But it's a beautiful and amazing sight. My brother got to go to Nepal years ago and see it from a distance. And from what I understand and what I've seen, and I've been to the Andes and to the Rockies and different places, guys, those types of experiences are absolutely breathtaking. You can even walk into your front yard and put a rose petal under a microscope and see the different hues that God has blended together in one rose petal, and it's breathtaking. The creativity and the logic that are perfectly brought together to create this planet are nothing but divine. And when we think through that, in this new heaven and new earth, perhaps you may get to ascend Mount Everest. Now think through that for a moment. Perhaps you may be able to, I don't know. But how beautiful and awesome would that be if God has created this planet to glorify him and enjoy him forever, and he's created you to glorify him and enjoy him forever, not to take part in that creation and hang tight to the majesty of God and stand on the top of Mount Everest and say, that is my king. You with me? It's the beauty of what God is doing in restoring and redeeming his people. He's bringing back Eden, folks. This is a great thing, is it not? This is something we don't typically think about because when we think through heaven, it is indescribable. It is indescribable. But we have taste and we have glimpse now. So let's go back to our original where, what, and who. Because let's answer the first one. Where is heaven? I think we've answered that already, right? It's here. A new heaven, a new earth. Now, between the time Jesus returns and you and I may pass, we will be with him in heaven. But that will pass and he will reestablish his heaven when he returns to earth. And he will be the king. But I want you to notice something. Matthew chapter 19 We'll try to get that up on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus makes a very interesting assumption here, or an interesting teacher. Peter asked, um, specifically, Peter asked, what answered him, what we have left everything to follow, we have left everything to follow you. What then will be here for, be, be for us? And notice what Jesus says, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things. Now you see that little phrase, at the renewal of all things. We'll read the rest of it, but let's leave the verse on the screen. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you, have, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. But let's focus. There's a lot of stuff there, right? Let's just deal with the renewal of all things. The Greek word for that is, is uh, palagensia. I'm not Greek, but that's what it says. <laughs> and it basically means coming back from death to life or a new genesis. You with me on that? Is that God is renewing through Jesus Christ what is here now if we go back to Revelation chapter 21 I want you to notice something Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 
Now remember, all this connects. I saw, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then notice that last phrase, and there was no longer any sea. What does that mean? When we get to heaven, there's no oceans? Because so many of you are ocean people, right? You know, is this, is this, <laughs> what? No Panama City? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what does that mean? Seas typically represented two things in ancient culture. One, it represented fear, and it represented barriers. And what's so interesting about heaven is he takes away the fear and he takes away the barriers among his people. And so the prejudices that we deal with on this planet will be erased. You get that? The barriers are gone. The language is the same. And so when we think through these things, it will be here, but it will be different and it will be perfect. Now let's deal with the what. What will it be like? So let's notice a couple of things here. Number one, we need to understand what it will be like. And this is a lot, so we're going to do the best we can. Notice what happens here. Let's, let's, let's go down to, uh, let's go to verse 21 of 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun nor the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings on earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter into in it nor anything, anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of the God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood a tree of life, bearing the twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and the servants will serve him. They will see his face. And his name will be on, his, on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will not need the night, light of a lamp for the light of the sun, or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, what does this all mean? A couple things here. There's some symbols here. We'll just deal with a couple of them. Remember, the temple is in the center of Jewish culture. Everything revolved around that. In fact, the early church, up until probably... Christ died, let's just say, around 30 A.D. Into the 100s and the 200s A.D., Christians in many times would go to the temple and worship, but also go to church and worship. This was a big problem in the early church, where the pastors and the elders and the leaders and the more mature were like, no, no, you worship Jesus. This is who we focus on. The Messiah has come. And so that transition had to be made. But still, the idea of the temple is, is really important, even in Christian culture, because when you come to know Christ, you become that temple because Christ dwells in with you. That's where God is. Make sense? But in heaven, when we look at Isaiah chapter 6, when we look at Ezekiel chapter 1, when we look at Revelation, Christ is the center of it all. And there's no need for a temple. Why? Because you have access. The whole creation is the temple of God in which you are a participant. 
And when we see several things like it's described, we see its breadth and its height and its 14 by 100 by 1400 miles, the city of Jerusalem, which is an important symbol because it represents peace in the center of the world and everything comes to it. We also see different things <coughs> in Revelation chapter 22, verse 4. There's no more wondering what God will be like because Revelation chapter 24, 22, verse 4 says, you will see him face to face. You ever wonder what God looks like? You'll find out. Every other time in Scripture, when you come face to face with God, it ain't good. Why? Because we're so totally tainted by sin and God can't have that near him. But when you come to Christ and when you go to heaven, face to face with God is a reward. Then we keep reading and we see this in Revelation chapter 22, verse 4, and in chapter 21, verse 25. There's no more rejection. We have our identity and we have our place. Revelation chapter 22, verse 4 says, His name will be written on our foreheads. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we, we all get tattoos? I mean, I, I, what does that mean? It means that you will be noted as His. It's the forefront of your life. This is who I am. I'm a child of God. Isn't that good? There'll be no more wondering. There'll be no more rejection. There'll no be no more checklist. Just child of God. Keep reading here. Several other things here. No more fear. We read in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. The sea is gone. There's complete unity. We see this in Revelation chapter 21, verse 24. Notice the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. They're going to lay it down, and there's going to be united in the person of Christ. No sun or night. You'll never be tired. It's resting forever. Chapter 22, verse 5. Guys, whatever you can dream up is perfect. This is it, plus more. Whatever we can think of, acceptance, peace, joy, rest, hope, satisfaction, this is it. Because all the other curses, notice, go back one last time, one last thing here. Notice what happens. Verse, go to verse 3 of chapter 22. No longer will there be any curse. What does that mean? The curse means our separation from God. And the consequences of the curse are the glimpses and the taste of his wrath that we experience here on this planet, right? It's the bad days. It's the cancer. It's the crumbling of relationships. It's the frustration. It's high blood pressure. It's all those things gone so what are you struggling with today we all got something right you got something i got something think about it most of us have a list of things that we're struggling with right you probably have a list of things about your own life that you hate that's gone that's gone so that answers somewhat the what we don't have time to go into this just like we want the last question is who will be there well let's go to revelation chapter 21 the start in verse 2 i saw the holy city the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband that's you and i heard a loud voice from the throne saying look god's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them they will be his people and god himself will be with them and be their God he will wipe away I love this part he will wipe away every tear from their eyes there will be no longer death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away 
He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write these things down, for these words are true, are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. For the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. Who will be there? Those who are victorious. Well, who are the victorious? Because I feel like I lose more than I win. Do y'all feel that way? I mean, really, we just got through doing our taxes, people. <laughs> Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Here you go. Here's the victorious. A wonderful understanding of what that is. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned, I love this, through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteous reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? What does that mean? Leave that up there for a moment. Through the one man, death reigned. Who's that one man? It's Adam. Him and Eve brought this curse upon us. But more so, get that last part. The gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, and that's Jesus. Those who are victorious are those whose God is Jesus. You get that? Those who are victorious, those who win, are those who submit to Christ and ask him to come into their lives. And those who experience that taste of winning are those who are consistently turning to him as a Christian day in and day out here. Doesn't mean you're always going to feel good. Doesn't mean there's always going to be joy here. That's circumstantial, right? But there will always be hope. And that's what we cling to as believers. So the victorious are those who know Jesus. But we always have a question. Because remember, the glimpses of heaven are here, right? So when we go to heaven, what about those we love? What about those we miss or miss us? What about those who didn't make it and we loved? Because we all have people in our lives who don't know Christ. And if we believe this, they don't go to heaven. If, that, if that's what we believe, that's your paradigm. What about those? How are we going to feel? How's that going to make us happy? How if it's going to ha I had a friend of mine that, you know, uh, lost his twin brother and is like I knew he didn't know Jesus how do I deal with that Revelation 21 verse 4 get it he will wipe away every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order has passed away the satisfying get this the satisfying and comforting power of God will overcome any grief you may have. You hear that? The saddest, that's hard to think about right now, right? Because grief is real. You deal with it, I deal with it, and it bubbles up all around us all the time. But understand this, in heaven, the satisfying and comforting power of God will overcome any grief or regret or pain or frustration that you may have. So how do we apply all this information? What do we do? 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be at two seconds here. 
And we'll deal with this more extensively in our podcast tomorrow. But notice what this Second Peter says. Chapter 3, also dealing with heaven. But he says this. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, you are loving the longing for heaven. You're looking forward to this. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. What does this mean? There's your application. How do we, how do we flesh that out? Because of time, we're going to flesh it out in two ways. Notice what happens. Make every effort. You're looking forward to heaven. You know Christ. Make every effort. Here's the deal. To be spotless and blameless. What does that mean? Prepare for Christ. Now, why are you doing good things if you already know Jesus and he's forgiving you? Why are you putting the effort in? Because of this. When we put the effort in rather than obey the world, it blinds us for what the hope is. Make sense? You ever gone down the road and the storm came and you can't even see out of your windshield, but you know the road's will there, still there? You've been there before? But here's the deal. The more we seek the Lord, the less fog on the, on the windshield. You experience it. You see it. And you're turning a blind eye to what the world offers and turning a, a gazing look into what heaven has. So prepare yourself. Number two, present Christ. Present Christ. What does this mean? You say have peace with God. That's important. You've got to know Christ. But go to verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with wisdom that God gave him. Notice what it says. Bear in mind the Lord's patience. His, I'm going to use an old school word here, his tarrying, meaning his waiting to come back, is patience so that we express the gospel to others, so that they can experience this hope in Christ. You with me on that? You as a believer are commissioned with that reality. And there's a lot of us in here who don't take that commission seriously. We take a lot of other things seriously. I'm running out of time. We take a lot of other things seriously. We take our Bible study seriously. We take our songs seriously. We take all types of things spiritually seriously. But hardly ever do we take the reality of sharing Christ with others seriously. Right? But yet, that's why he tarries. So with that in mind, let's finish with taxes this morning. What? <laughs> it was tax day last week, right? Years ago, I decided I was American and I could be, should be able to do my taxes on my own. And I can't add, subtract, multiply, or divide. I can spend. Y'all with me on that? So subtraction works real well for me. So my wife and I both are self-employed, so... I thought, I'll be able to do this, so I get on TurboTax. You've done that before, right? And I start putting in all the stuff and putting in all the stuff. And, I, and I've told you this before. I think I've shared this illustration. But in the corner at that time, every time I type in a number, the number of what you're getting back or have to pay spins, and it's either red or green. Y'all been there before? And it kept spinning green. Now, I had to, I mean, it's like, what? It's spinning green. I put in, I do this many miles. Brrr, I paid this much for lunch. Brrr, I had this dry cleaning. Brrr, <coughs> I, have, I have two kids. Brrr, I mean, all that stuff. And I'm like, we're going to Jamaica. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> y'all with me on this, right? 
And I bring my wife in there, and I'm like, we're sitting there. Baby, check this out. We are, this is awesome. We're going to have a good time. And I just started thinking, hey, it was just so much fun. We got to the end. Y'all with me on this, right? Y'all have done this before. I got to the end, and I was like, all right, put in your bank account number so you can get your refund. Submit. 0.34 seconds after I hit submit, I forgot that I did not check self-employed. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about at that moment, right? And I, it was like, it's like my soul left my body, you know? <laughs> the next morning, all that money was in the bank. And I'm in a conundrum here. Do I love Jesus or not? <laughs> we obviously went and got all that straightened out. I did not go to Jamaica. I went to Helen. <laughs> Why did I tell you that story? Some of you are doing all the right things, but when you hit submit, you'll realize that you never knew you. You never knew Christ. And you've been blinded by the wrong things. My role, your role, is to make sure you know Jesus. My role and your role is to make sure others are growing in Jesus. So are you ready? Do you know him? Is this your expectation? It's just complete and total peace. Guys, the more I grow in my faith and the older I get, I want this now. But as we wait, we have this beautiful opportunity to taste more of his goodness and to share more of this hope. Will you partner with me on that? Will you partner with me on that? As a church, will we do this? This is what it's about, right? It's to make sure he is known and that people are growing. And if we sum up our church in, one, in just two ways, that's it. Connect truth and people to what? together that's what we do because that's what this is this morning if you're here and you don't know christ i want to give you opportunity to know him you can text in the phrase to the number on the screen you can check the box in your on your connect card and turn it in or you can come see me in the foyer i want you to know christ i want you to grow in jesus we have life groups established for you there's no reason why somebody shouldn't be in one you can go to our welcome center we have it there for you you can go check it off on your uh connect card you can text in the phrase, we have given you every opportunity. It is time. Because if heaven is where we're going, let's taste it together now. Y'all with me? Let's pray. Father, you are good and beyond anything we could ever imagine. You are powerful and you are righteous. And so Jesus, as we come to the altar this morning to worship you, may you be exalted. May our hope spring forward with just a zeal to experience more and more of you. May we turn a blind eye to what the world offers and cling to what your truth is about and what we get to experience as we love looking forward to your grace. Overwhelm us. Fill us. Guide us. And direct us. And Jesus, we pray as a church in Revelation chapter 22, the last verse, 
Jesus, come quickly. We're tired. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand this morning.